Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. Today, to continue our series on attraction, we'll be hearing from Samin Vizier. Dr. Vizier is an associate professor of psychology here at Washington University in St. Louis, and her research focuses on personality science. Of course, personality is a huge part of who we attract and who we find attractive, whether for friendship or romance or in our professional lives. So we have quite a bit of ground to cover in the next 15 minutes or so. Some of the questions that Dr. Vizier will address are, is attractiveness truly in the eye of the beholder? And if so, what if the beholder is ourselves? In other words, are people accurate in rating their own attractiveness? But first, let's jump to the thing that we all really want to know. What personality traits are most attractive? Lesson number one, be funny. Funny is actually probably number one up there in terms of not just what people say they find attractive, but we've looked at what actually predicts being liked by people. And if people see you as funny, they like you more. That's probably the strongest effect in all our research. There are a couple potential explanations. It's possible that people are just giving each other the benefit of the doubt. If you really like someone, you'll use positive terms like funny to describe that person, whether or not the person is actually that funny. But it could be the other way around, that if we find someone's sense of humor pretty funny, then we're more likely to get close to them and like them. But I was, I was pretty surprised at how strong that effect was. Now, on to lesson number two. This above all, to thine own self be true. In the attractiveness game, it pays to be genuine. People who are perceived as more authentic and knowing themselves better are liked better. And that, that makes sense when you think about it, right? That the people we like the best we see as being true to themselves and being sincere and authentic and aware of how they come across, aware of their behavior. It's interesting to me that that's what we like in other people because the research really is not that clear cut about whether it's a good thing to have self-knowledge. But in terms of our interpersonal relations, in terms of who we like, self-knowledge seems to be really important for getting along with people. This brings us to lesson number three. If you don't actually have a lot of self-knowledge, you should probably at least pretend that you do. So one thing we don't know is these people whose friends are rating them as having a lot of self-insight and being really authentic, they're the ones who are liked the most by their friends, but we don't know for sure that what their friends are picking up on is actually real self-knowledge. But it's something that gives people the impression that you know yourself, you're true to yourself, you're sincere and authentic. So at least making other people feel that that's how you are is really important, whether you achieve that by actually having self-knowledge or whether there's some other route to eliciting that impression, I'm not sure. You could be inauthentically authentic. <laughs> Just to be clear, Hold That Thought does not advocate being a total phony. We're just presenting you with the latest research. But let's stick with the self-knowledge idea for a minute. Dr. Vizier's lab also studies how people rate themselves compared with how other people rate them on a range of qualities, including attractiveness. She mentioned that there's a lot of pop psychology out there claiming that, especially in this generation, everyone seems to think that they're better than everyone else in some way or above average. But according to Vizier's research, this isn't really true. 
There's a pretty big group of people that are pretty accurate, that are pretty close to how other people describe them. If we had to put a percentage on it, I'd say about 50% of people are pretty close to accurate. And then it's pretty much evenly split between people who overestimate and people who underestimate themselves. There's a whole group of people where they just have pretty low self-esteem. It's not to the point of a clinical diagnosis, but they have self-views that are more negative than they need to be. And we're really interested in what's going on there. And one finding that we just recently got with my graduate student, Catherine Bollock, is that people seem to know that they're in that group. So the people who self-deprecate, when we ask them to describe you know, their personality and how attractive and funny they are, the people who underrate themselves, if we ask them, do you think you underrated or overrated yourself? They say they underrated themselves. And actually the people who overrate themselves know that they overrate themselves. So maybe it's not so much that they really believe they're so bad, but that self-view serves some purpose for them. Maybe it helps motivate them to work harder or to try to become a better person. But it does seem like some people have the strategy of overestimating themselves and some people have what seems like a conscious strategy of underestimating themselves. Dr. Vizier and her students also study the overestimators, also known as self-enhancers or narcissists. The classic story about narcissists is that he, you know, saw his image and his reflection in the water and became obsessed with himself. And there does seem to be a hint of that in this group of people, the self-enhancers. And so we find that those people definitely see themselves as much more attractive and funny and charming and interesting than other people see them. They are actually a little bit more funny and charming and so on than non-narcissists. So some of that is true. There's some reality behind their perception, but they just exaggerate it a lot. They tend to dress in more revealing clothing, especially we find that more a stronger correlation with women. So they show more cleavage, they wear more makeup. Um, both men and women wear more expensive clothes. The higher they are in narcissism, they care more about their appearance. This preoccupation with appearance might make you think that narcissists have a stronger-than-average interest in having other people find them attractive. But as with the self-deprecators, the way they view themselves might actually serve a purpose unrelated to personal relationships. Um, and my graduate student Erica Carlson has done some follow-up work, and what she found is that there, those people are aware that there's social costs that people don't necessarily like people like that very much, as friends and so on. But they believe that there's a lot of personal benefits that you get ahead in life by being that way. So it's they're not really out to be liked. They're out to you know get ahead and be successful and be dominant, and they think that having the qualities they have, including bragging and condescension and so on, helps them achieve those goals. There might be some truth behind it. If you're very assertive and brag a lot and so on, you may actually make a better first impression and get what you want faster if what you want is you know, to close the deal or to be the boss. But you're not going to get people to like you. And there's also research showing that in the long run, that backfires. So depending on your job and your position in life, maybe you only need to make a good first impression. Maybe you don't need to make a lasting good impression. But for things like friendships and relationships to work in the long run, obviously you need to be able to maintain that good impression, and they're not very good at that. Dr. Vizier mentioned that both the self-deprecators and the self-enhancers seem to be pretty aware that they're rating themselves higher or lower than they actually come across to other people. I asked her to explain a little bit more why this happens. We want to hang on to our self-view even when we know it's not quite right. Because these were people who one minute were telling us, say, for example, if I ask you and you say, you're a 12 out of 15 on funny, literally five minutes later I ask you, did you overestimate or underestimate how funny you were? And you'll say to me, oh yeah, I overestimated. Well, then why didn't you give me a more accurate rating in the first place? I think it's because that self-perception, whether it's an, over an overly positive or overly negative self-perception, 
serve some purpose for you, that seeing yourself as funnier than you really are or less funny than you really are, maybe it gives you the confidence to approach new people. Maybe if you are an underrater, that works for you because it motivates you to try to become funnier or to not come across as bragging if that's what you really want to avoid. Um, so I think people have different goals. And part of the reason it's so hard to get people to have more self-knowledge and be more accurate is because sometimes accuracy isn't the most important thing. Sometimes we need to have inaccurate self-perceptions to achieve our goals. So having a less than accurate perception of yourself can actually be a good thing. And oddly enough, where self-knowledge really seems to matter is in our relationships with others, not ourselves. So it might be this paradox where self-knowledge is necessary because other people like it in us, but it might not actually be completely beneficial for ourselves. It might have both costs and benefits for the self, but it's something that we should probably invest in for the sake of our friends and family members because it seems to really help with our relationships. As we've heard, having a slightly unrealistic view of yourself compared to how other people see you can have positive effects. And the same goes for how people view their romantic partners. The social psychology literature has shown that people in romantic relationships tend to idealize their partners. That's nothing new. We knew that. But there's this kind of paradox where people both idealize their partners, but they also know their partners better than almost anybody else. And both of those are good for relationships. So you want a partner who kind of puts you on a pedestal, but you also want a partner who really knows you. And that seems like a paradox, right? How can you have both? But there's various ways that researchers have identified where you might be able to balance both of those needs in a relationship. One way you could achieve both is to idealize your partner, think that they're great, but recognize that they themselves don't necessarily think they're great and other people might not think they're great. So for example, in the paper that, that we just finished writing, um, we looked specifically at the trait of physical attractiveness and we looked at how romantic partners rated each other on physical attractiveness. And we tend to find that I think the average on a scale of one to 15 is something like 14 point something. It's pretty high. So people tend to see their partners as very physically attractive. That's good, right? If you're in a romantic relationship with someone, you should probably find him or her attractive. But as we learned with how people view themselves, people are also aware that their opinion might not match those of others. But then we ask them, how attractive do you think your partner thinks he or she is, him or herself? So what's their self-view? And their uh, self-views tend to be quite a bit lower, maybe a 9 out of 15, something like that. And the romantic partners have some awareness of that. So when we ask them, how would your partner rate him or herself on physical attractiveness, the partners tended to give something like a 10 or an 11. They were much closer to their partner's actual self-views. So we think one thing that's going on is that partners themselves have an idealized view of each other, but they know that that's not shared by other people. They know that that's their own kind of idiosyncratic perception. Uh, a further question is whether they think they're the only ones who are right and everyone else is wrong. But for something like physical attractiveness, right, if you're admitting that several other people don't see your partner as attractive as you see your partner, you're kind of admitting that it's in the eye of the beholder a little bit. Moral of the podcast, Joe Cocker was right. It reminds me of that song, um, You Are So Beautiful to Me, which always seemed to me like a very backhanded compliment. Like, you know, you're beautiful, but just to me. But that does seem to be kind of what's going on in relationships that people are aware that my partner is more beautiful to me than he or she might be to other people. To wrap up, let's return to the lessons we learned at the beginning of today's episode. What does it really take to be attractive? My best guess would be to try to be funny, <laughs> if you are, but if you're not, that might backfire. Um, but then to be authentic and be yourself and create a feeling between you and other people that 
there's a true connection, that things are real, that you're being your real self. And I think that feeling makes people feel close and makes people like each other. Um, so for, for more long-term attraction, I think that's key. Many thanks to Samin Vizier for contributing to Hold That Thought. You can find a link to her faculty and laboratory pages on our website. We're at thought.artsci.wustel.edu. That's thought.artsci.wustel.edu. Please also like us on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash wustl.thanks.